Welcome to the Big Unlock Podcast, your leading source for insights and best practices on the digital transformation of healthcare. Join host Patty Patmanaban, CEO of Demo Consulting and best-selling author of Healthcare Digital Transformation, how consumerism, technology, and pandemic are accelerating the future in conversation with healthcare and technology leaders. This podcast is brought to you with the support of our partners, Innovacer and Powbox. Hello again, everyone. Welcome back to my podcast. It is my great privilege and honor to introduce my special guest today, Darshak Sangwe, Chief Medical Officer at Babylon Health. Darshak, uh, thank you so much for setting aside the time and welcome to the show. Yeah. Hey, Patty, great to be with you. Uh, looking forward to the conversation. Thank you so much. For the benefit of our listeners, uh, maybe you can give us a quick overview of who Babylon Health is and what your role yeah. is. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I, I've been with Babylon since earlier this year. So uh, Babylon, it's a, essentially a, a global digital health company. And our philosophy is that we want to get affordable, accessible, and quality care to everybody on the planet, which I guess is really the sales pitch that got me most excited. And as you might have heard, you know, got it started in the UK, then expanded to Rwanda, Asia Pacific services in Canada, now the US. And so I came on here really to help out as the global chief medical officer to think about how we can really deliver on that promise. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just to get this one out of the way, you also went public through a SPAC event. Am I right? Yeah, it, it feels like it may have already happened, although it's planned for uh, sometime in the next uh, few months. Uh, so, okay. So that is uh, that is our, our event coming up, and uh, we're excited about that as well. Okay, excellent. All the best with the, with the SPAC move as well. So in terms of your clients, and now you're a global organization, let's talk a little bit about the United States, where obviously there's a big opportunity for your company. Who do you serve? Is it payers, providers, employers, all of the above, more of one versus another? Can you can you give us a little bit of uh, insight into that? Yeah, yeah, it's a great, you know, as I think about it, the tagline is that we, we want to deliver healthcare to the palm of everybody's hand. So ultimately, the people we're serving are really patients and, and members worldwide. Now, the way we get to that member can vary depending on where they happen to live. The most of our members, at least in the UK and in the US, principally, we are a customer of their insurer. So the insurer says, look, we need somebody to help you take care of these members. We'll go ahead and give you their premium or go ahead and compensate you. And then you deliver services. So even though we're paid by the insurers, the ultimate person we're serving is really the patient. And the same goes for Rwanda and our other areas of business as well. So insurers sort of bring you in uh, to deliver uh, digital health services to their members, they might stratify right. their population, maybe carve yeah. out a uh, population and have you manage them on some kind of a capitated model or something along exactly. those lines. And you bring in your technology uh, analytics and all those capabilities to do it efficiently and improve healthcare outcomes. So that's kind of the vision here. And it makes a lot of sense to me. Question that I have as a consumer, yeah, let's say I'm on the other end. So yeah. I've got a primary care provider who is trying to do the same things for me. Keep me out of the hospital, help me manage any chronic conditions that right. I might have, improve my lifestyle, my diet, all the good stuff. Now I've got my insurer talking to me about the same thing. Maybe behind the scenes, it's a company like yours right. that's actually designing the program. Now, the question on the consumer is, who should I be talking to? You know, if you're yeah. talking to the, you know, 
Whose yes. protocol do I follow? Whose app do I download? You know, just walk us through a little bit of that. Uh, you know, do you see this at all as a dynamic sure. in your work? Sure. So I think what you're getting at is we never want to get between somebody who's really satisfied with high quality care and disintermediate that in any way. So I'll say a little bit about how we've operated in a number of areas. And it varies from market to market. So let me just say in the UK, for example, just like uh, in the US, people choose Medicare Advantage and they sign up and they know what they're getting into. Similarly, in the UK, people elect to have uh, Babylon become their primary care provider. So they're actually choosing us and we, we serve them. Now, in places like the US, for example, we are in Missouri, where we serve around 20,000 patients on Medicaid. We give them care. Now, actually, those individuals, the way uh, uh, this came about was these were individuals that actually were not really engaged in the healthcare system. So what we, we were very confident, we thought that our model wrong. These are the hardest to reach patients. They're not engaged in care. Can we go out and actually reach them? And so we contacted them and of them, you know, we actually engage over 20% or so, a little more than I'd have to check our numbers, whereas traditionally only about 5% of those individuals have been engaged. So we really try to offer, we never want to supplant traditional care relationships, but we want to reach people that are not engaged, get them engaged. And then if they actually do have a doctor, then we add it on as an extra level of care over that. And then we support them in their journey as well. There's a lot of things that you can't always go to see your PCP for. When people have needs, we try to fill those. So let's drill into that a little bit. Yeah. So you're serving, you talk about the Medicaid population. Uh, sure. you're, you're talking about low income, in many cases, underserved populations, possibly yeah. geographically spread and a variety of other factors. Big question that comes up uh, when, when we talk about these populations is, are they really ready for digital engagement? And uh, are we really in a position to meet their needs? Uh, they may not have the latest smartphones with them. You know, they may have, they may be in bandwidth deserts. Uh, there's a bunch of other things. Talk to us a little bit about how you overcome that in your work. Yeah, it's such an interesting conversation because this is precisely the kind of questions that were raised when we initially had gone to Rwanda several years ago. Oh, you know, these individuals won't uh, have access to technology, low bandwidth, and we problem solved around that. Everything from sort of thinking about using telephones when necessary to sort of a more UDDA platform. But getting back to your question in the U.S. in particular, where we just talked about, I'll, give an, I'll, I'll just give a little bit of an analogy. Again, this notion that digital health is too complicated or people don't have access was actually tested at the beginning of the COVID pandemic. And at that time, I worked for a very large national payer as a chief medical officer overseeing an older population, millions of people. And what we saw was when we suddenly started to actually pay for that kind of care and allow uh, physicians and clinicians to use that, we saw a massive increase from less than, you know, one in 1% of individuals, over 15 to 20% of our members were using digital services. And these are people that, you know, previously said, oh, you know, they're older, they, they won't understand it. And it's exactly like it is with, you know, social media. When there's a value proposition, people will actually use that. I will say it's not perfect. Absolutely. Some people may not have access to smartphone technology. They may not have access to bandwidth, but at least it's better than what they have now, which is often don't have any access at all. We start on that base and then we try to problem solve incrementally to get more and more engagement. Basically, now you're operating as a virtual primary care provider on behalf of your 
insurer health plans. Yes. You also recently made an acquisition of a, a primary care physician group. Uh, yes. Talk to us about the rationale for that. Yeah. So I think that uh, what we realize, and, and maybe again, I'll say one of the great benefits of Babylon is we, we benefit from years of experience and we can learn from other parts of the world as well. And one of the learnings we had from experience in the UK is that while digital healthcare, particularly digital primary care, is incredibly accessible and people like it, we could replace about 80 to 90% of a lot of in-person visits with digital care. Now, what that means is we still have 10% that require some, and we all know that, right? You, you probably need, you know, there's some conditions that just, there's no substitute for being in person. So what that was what drove this thought of a, our acquisition of an IPA in California, which is incredibly high performing. And the idea was let's now partner with the provider organization and be sure that we now learn how to actually develop both that digital care in the U.S., but then also understand that how we use that physical presence as well. I mean, that's going to be a scalable model for us more broadly. So acquiring this physician group was really to build the capacity to serve a larger population. Is that the right way to look at it? Right. I'd say a couple of things. So the first is that we recognize that we have to develop both that digital and physical presence. Right. If we're going to offer primary care, we want to do it longitudinally and in high quality. The second piece of it was we also believe that one of the things we'll also get out of this is that the digital tools we have, we believe they're highly scalable. So what we'd like to do is to also work with physician groups and then transfer this technology to them to ensure that we can also then, can we take existing practices and really digitally supercharge them in some way to also, so it's not only for them to see patients who are largely virtual, but it's for the physicians themselves to learn how to work in a digital first environment as well. And that's part of what we'll also be focusing on is that digital front door. What are we gonna learn? How do we roll that out with those providers? This podcast is brought to you with the support of our partners, Innovacer and Powbox. Now, when we talk about digital front doors, and we're talking right now about actually a hybrid model of care where you know, for some things you need to go into a clinic or for some yeah. things you need to send a physician out to a home or whatever the case may be. One of the big things we, we hear a lot and we also see a lot in, in the work that my firm does is that these experiences can be very, very hard to pull together as a seamless experience from a consumer standpoint. Right? You've got the tool and the widget and everything on your phone, and then you've got to deal with the human and then, you know, the connections. Sometimes there's a loss in translation. Sometimes the experience is not seamless. How do you, what, what are some of the practices that you've incorporated into your solution? It, just tell us a little bit about the stack that you've put together and how you're approaching this, this particular issue of creating seamless experiences from a digital front door standpoint. Yeah, what I'd say about that is there's a couple steps to being a seamless experience. And we need to solve at multiple points along that continuum. And it starts a seamless experience initially, in our view, we have something we call the health loop, where we talk about all the steps of what a seamless or high quality patient experience would be. And the first step of that loop is engagement. And what that means is how quickly can somebody be onboarded onto the app and get it installed and actually be registered? Now that seems like a fairly straightforward thing, but the amount of energy and care we put into that experience is enormous because, you know, checking insurance, like, you know, getting birthday, you can just imagine that. 
So when we talk about a seamless experience, we, we have a, a funnel approach. We think about that all along the way. And as I said, it starts with that engagement, that registration. Then it moves to how do we actually acquire data on that individual? You know, we perform a health assessment. Can they do that in a seamless way? We'll try to uh, create a personal connection with a call from one of our care navigators. And then we'll say, well, how do we initially book them into an appointment? And what we've done is, and this is what I'm very proud of, is the vast majority of our patients can actually have a virtual visit even the same day. And if they have a behavioral health concern within that first week. So what we, again, think about, that's also technologically informed with our scheduling software and so forth. And then obviously, then we have an enormous amount of quality control over the actual experience. We have over a thousand engineers, for example, all over the world that are helping us develop that platform. And then we can sort of pull that all the way through, through all the steps of what that seems. How do you keep score of how well you're doing in a program like this? What are some of your key KPIs, yeah. if you will? Yeah, so what we think about, I mean, probably one of our simplest measures, and this is the one we've started with, and actually have a global scorecard on this one, is simply patient satisfaction. It's essentially like a, a promoter score from our, from our patients. Are they pleased with the experience? And we consistently have at least in the UK, and if you look at Rwanda as well, and in the US for large parts of business, have just extremely high satisfaction scores. We use sort of a star system there. That's our North Star, and it's sort of on our internal metrics of how we look at quality. Now, obviously, as you can imagine, that's one of the metrics, and then we have an enormous number of operational metrics that then underlie that as well. Yeah, let's talk about the competitive landscape. You know, this today the digital health landscape has come a long way in the last few years, in particular, especially if you if you use the uh, VC funding numbers as a barometer of uh, growth, right? And there's just billions and billions pouring in, and every day it seems like there's a new company that's raising a Series A, B, C, whatever uh, you know stage they are in. Now that is great news from an innovation standpoint. And then, of course, the ones that survive are going to be the ones that make it through this this crucible of uh, trial by fire, if you will. Now, you know, obviously, you've come a long way. You're about to become a public company, raise a lot of VC money. But when you look at the landscape, and you and when you look at your clients who are trying to parse through this landscape, pick the platform or the solution provider that's going to be the best suited for their needs. What are some of the challenges that you see them grappling with? when they're trying to make a decision about whether it's going to be Babylon Health or somebody else? I'll make it very simple, which is that digital health is so exciting to see all these companies competing. We welcome that competition. We think that's only great for members we're going to serve if the highest quality services move forward. I'll say we are one of the only comprehensive digital health care companies that are not only talk about our product, we're willing to put our essentially take full risk. So that's the mark, in my view, of somebody who truly believes in the company, knows they can scale. We take full financial risk on members, and that's sort of where we're going and most aggressively. That's where our contracts are, and that's why our revenue and our revenue targets have grown so much. We believe so much in our product that we're, if we're willing to do that and take that full risk, I think that demonstrates to people it's not just talk, but we'll deliver on that. And most importantly, it's almost no risk for you as a client. Yeah. Sadly, the healthcare system in the United States is still heavily dependent on the fee-for-service model. Yes. It's great to hear that uh, there are solution providers who are driving this push towards more of accountable care and at-risk models and so on and so forth. It's still unfinished business. So from your perspective, 
what's going to really move the needle towards more of this? Is it going to come from innovative digital health providers like yourself? Is it going to be changes to the regulatory environment? What's the one thing that you think is going to put it over the top and make us all become part of an accountable care model? Yeah, Yeah. I would say just simply put, we all do best when we have to operate within a defined budget and deliver based on metrics. I mean, I think that's sort of at its core when we talk about value-based care. It's most simply saying, look, you need to give good quality to the budget. So to me, that move towards full risk, particularly on digital health, is the key that unlocks growth. You know, then we don't fight over regulatory issues like is Medicare paying for home-based normal monitoring? Are they, you know, doing cross-state license payments? When you offload that risk to companies that actually are digitally enabled and let them pursue what they think is best, I personally believe that's what the unlock is. Sure. And I think uh, this is still unfinished business. We're all waiting for this to kind of play out over the next few years or so. So we're coming up to the closing moments of our conversation, yeah. <laughs> Darshan. I'd love to hear your, you know, your final thoughts, if you will, on what are the two or three big trends you're seeing in the market when it comes to digital health adoption that uh, consumers like me should yeah. be looking for? Yeah. So I'd say from the consumer standpoint, a couple of things. The first is that um, does your digital health company give you just a one-time experience? Like, are they designed just around taking care of your coughs and colds and maybe your, your reproductive health needs? Or are they truly giving you a longitudinal care experience where you want to develop a relationship with trust over time and actually take care of you at all those periods? To me, that's actually the direction in which we're going. As a consumer, that would be very important. I just, I don't want a one and done. I want to make sure that we push across. The second thing I would say is that how well are they optimized to do the simple things? Because, you know, it's like those uh, stories about, you know, uh, those rock stars who say that in the bowl of M&Ms, they want to make sure that there's no green M&Ms when they yeah. write the contract. I know, you know which that one. doing everything else right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. similarly, that's the same thing. Look at your digital health platform. How easy do they make it to make an appointment? Do they refill your medications on time? Do they do those simple things? And as a consumer, if they're doing those things right, then you can have some confidence you're going to do the hard things right as well. That's the second thing I'd leave you on. Fantastic. Well, it's been such a great pleasure speaking with you. I'm really excited about all the innovation that's coming out in the digital health space. And of course, uh, great work by Babylon Health. All the best once again with this pack. And uh, I look forward to watching uh, your company and your growth and all the very, very best to you and your team. Patty, great pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for having me on. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can reach us at info at with your feedback and questions. This podcast is brought to you with the support of our partners, Innovacer and Palbox.